Over the last month or so, we have been in a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, I want to begin with a question. Did you have a good week? You know, I feel like that question gets asked a lot, and maybe we are quick to respond without putting a whole lot of thought into it and say, yeah, sure, I, I had a good week. But, but maybe I could ask that question a little bit differently. Maybe I could ask a better question. Were you good this past week? I think that's a tougher question to think about. Was I good this past week? Well, I mean, I wasn't bad this past week. I mean, I didn't steal anything that didn't belong to me that I remember. I, I, I didn't force any drivers off of the road. I, I didn't spread malicious gossip that destroyed someone's life. I didn't scream at the kids too much. I didn't uh, kick the cat too much. You know, I, I wasn't bad, and that's good, right? Well, isn't goodness just the absence of badness? Uh, th that if I make it through a week and I'm not bad, that's good, right? Or is it? Well, the reason why I ask that question is uh, about goodness is because in this study of the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about, this nine, these nine characteristics that God desires to fill us with, this trait of goodness is in the middle of the list. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Goodness is what we're talking about today. And it might seem to be a little bit bland, like, I mean, what could you really say about goodness? How much can you really talk about goodness? I mean, there, there, this is going to be a really short sermon. I mean, hey, be good this week. You got it? All right, you're dismissed. Well, not quite. I want us to think a little bit more deeply about goodness. What is it? What is it not? Where does it come from? Where is its origin? And why is it so desperately needed in a world of brokenness? Broken dreams, broken hearts, broken families, broken bodies. Why is goodness so desperately needed in our world? Listen, I wish that I could tell you that goodness could change the world. But I don't know that. I do know that goodness can change you. That as you grow in this, it will change your heart. That it'll change the way that you see people, it'll change the way that you relate to people, and it's very important for us to talk about and to focus on this today. And I think that we really do need to focus today. Now, I think that this is one of those messages that at the end of it, you could walk away and say, well, that gave me some things to think about. But it never really goes anywhere uh, deeper into your life or into your week than that. And so I want to challenge you to think about a particular person or maybe a particular situation where you can live this out, where you can demonstrate this goodness in a very practical way. 
And so maybe it's a sports team that you coach or that you play on. Or maybe it, is, it just has to do with your job, a boss, a co-worker, a particular part of what you do for a living. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's just hanging out with your, your neighbor, you're having a block party, and uh, you're doing that this week, and you consider what it would look like to demonstrate this character trait of goodness in your interactions with your neighbors. And so maybe it is in a large group setting where you're doing ministry, or maybe it's a uh, playing sports, or maybe it's hanging out with a group of friends, or maybe it's uh, just on a more personal level, this one-on-one interaction. But as we talk about this idea of goodness, we want to see what the scriptures have to say to us about this, and we also want to think about how we can apply this in very practical ways in our lives. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning or you can open that Bible app, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. But I want to invite you to join me first in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. And we want to begin by talking about the origin of goodness. Where does goodness come from? In the first page of our Bibles, we read the creation story about how the world and the universe comes into existence. And I brought along with me this morning a globe so that you can kind of imagine this, picture this, visualize this with me this morning. But in Genesis chapter 1, we we see that in one moment there is just absolutely nothing that exists except for God. And then God starts to speak and all of these different things start to appear all over the place. And God creates light and darkness, the sun, moon, and stars. He makes land and water. He makes plants and sea creatures, birds, land animals, and even human beings. But but as we read this account in Genesis chapter 1, there is this repeated phrase that comes up again and again and again as it relates to the generosity of God. And I know that some of you are familiar with this phrase, but it says, and it was good, or God saw that it was good. And I'm not going to read all of these verses for us here this morning, but I want to just point out this repeated phrase to you here in the scriptures. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, we read this, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that it was good. God separated the light from the darkness. Skip down to verse 10. Again, God speaks and the land and the sea uh, are created. And it says, God called the dry land earth and the water that was gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the creator speaks again, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 21, we see fish and birds, and it says, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Verse 25 talks about all of the uh, land animals and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And then in verse 31, there is this kind of summary statement of everything that has just happened and it says, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. Now, it says God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was very good. And I don't want you to just think, well, God saw these things and it was pretty. Listen, God saw everything that he made. Out of the creative generosity of his character and his essence and his heart, the world springs forth and there is beauty and there is harmony and there is a wholeness that is now present. The, or, the origin of goodness is found in our generous creator and this is where the story of goodness begins. Now, we're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And there's this famous building in Rome. It's called the Sistine Chapel. But in the middle of this, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, there is this massive painting that's been done by this famous painter named Michelangelo. And if you've never seen it before, well, it's this picture of God, and he, he, it's depicting God and Adam, and he's reaching out to Adam. God is reaching out to Adam to touch Adam. And it's as if there is this image of God being transferred over to Adam. Friends, part of what it means to be created in the image of God as human beings is that we are given his goodness. God's goodness is transferred, infused into Adam. And so now everywhere that we go and every situation that we're involved in, every conversation that we have, we have the opportunity to bring the beauty and the wholeness and the blessing of God. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, listen, Jason, I mean, I don't know about the world that you live in, but that doesn't describe my work. That doesn't describe my family. That doesn't describe my neighbors. And so what's going on? What happened to this goodness that was such a big part of the world that God created? The, that, that brings us to point number two, which just has to do with the disruption of goodness, the disruption of of goodness. Oftentimes we call this the fall, but just two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, we're told about how sin entered into the world through the choices that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. And when sin entered into the world, it totally messed everything up. It, it was like a cancer that spread and infected every friendship, every marriage, every family, every church, every country, every form of government, every hospital, every school, every job site, every office building. Sin permeates everything and goodness, the original goodness, is disrupted. Now... You think about our world and even the city that we live in. I mean, I don't have to tell you that Chicago is a world-class city. 
We have a picture of Chicago that we're going to put on the screen here. And just think about the beautiful skylines. For me, I mean, fall is one of those beautiful times of the year when the leaves are changing and you can go outside and enjoy a nice walk and, and, and just take um, in all of the gorgeous views that are present there. But Chicago has a gorgeous skyline, scenic uh, parks, um, stunning rivers, lakes, ponds, and not only can you experience all of these amazing views, but there is uh, some great, fabulous shopping that you can do. You can go to phenomenal restaurants, go to plays, experience all of this entertainment. There is a lot to love about the great city that we live in. But just like I don't have to tell you about all of the phenomenal things that you can experience in Chicago... I also don't have to tell you about the hurt and the pain and the violence and the crime and the uh, wickedness that is present in the streets of our city. Uh, I usually don't like to read the headlines uh, too often, but this week I actually did. And I I read things like this. We're going to put this first one up on the screen. It says, Chicago marks its 500th homicide for the year. A father of two gunned down as he left his mother's home in West Pullman. There's a lot of other headlines that were like this that I read. Man found shot to death in Woodlawn Park. Boy 14 and an 18-year-old shot on sidewalk in Inglewood. Girl 14 is seriously wounded in shooting in Gresham Home. Man and woman shot in West Jackson Boulevard District. Two men shot in Greater Grand Crossing. Man killed in Chatham hit-and-run crash. Eight people wounded in shootings across Chicago. And these are all things that just happened on Monday this past week. 17 people shot... Three people dead, all just in one day. Welcome to our world-class city. And that's why I don't often like to read the headlines. You have side-by-side the image of the original goodness of God through the beautiful fall scenery and the reflections off the water. And at the same time, in this city, you see just how wicked human beings can be to each other. Listen, the goodness of God has been disrupted in every heart, in every home, in every workplace. Goodness has been disrupted. As we've traveled through these fruits of the Spirit, there's one word that we really haven't focused on too much, or I don't think at all throughout these weeks. But it's the the very first word in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's the word but. It goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit. There's a contrast that's being made here. And so the question is, well, uh, why? Uh, what What is it that was right before this? What was going on before this, uh, this list of the fruit of the Spirit? Because what comes right before this is the fruit of the flesh. It's the result of what happens when we live our lives without God. 
It's actually not called the fruit of the flesh, but it's called the works of the flesh. And here's what it says beginning in uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, a a world without God is destructive and out of control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, it is the work of the flesh that leads to jealousy, anger, and rage, dissensions, divisions, and discord. It is the reason why there are conflicts in families, why neighbors don't trust each other and don't get along. It's why office politics boil over into petty arguments, and instead of working together to compete with the competition, you're just trying to keep the business from folding in on itself. Friends, this is what life without God is like. It's what we're capable of doing if he does not intervene in our lives. This is goodness disrupted. Sin, the disruption of goodness, that is what has gone wrong around us. And when we think about that, it leaves us discouraged, depressed, and hopeless. Now, thankfully, we don't have to stay in that state of discouragement because there is more to the story. And uh, the third thing that I want you to see here this morning is the restoration of goodness, the restoration of goodness. As the scriptures tell the story of God working with our planet and moving among us, the creator, the one who spoke our world into existence with his generous creativity, humbles himself. He becomes a man. He comes to our planet and he sacrifices himself for all the wrong things that we have done, which leads us to the crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus is not just some story of a Jewish teacher who had had not gotten along very well with the government authorities of his day. No, the story of the crucifixion is a story of how a good and generous creator of the universe came to this planet and bore the sin of people who, in their rebellion, disrupted the goodness of God. Now, when someone comes to the cross, when someone responds to what Jesus has done for them on the cross... We say that God moved into their lives and is changing them from the inside out, which is very significant because we have to understand that we are incapable of rescuing ourselves. I can't reach up to God. I need God to somehow break into the world and reach down to rescue me. Listen, Jesus comes Because we are incapable of self-rescue. He takes all of the burden, all of the weight, the condemnation, and the shame of our sin upon himself. He offers us free forgiveness. And all we have to do, all we can do, is to receive it. We, We can't earn grace. We don't deserve grace. But we can only receive his grace. And... When we invite Christ into our lives, when he moves in, he begins to change us from the inside out. Listen, we make a major mistake when we think, you know what? 
My life is such a mess. If I can just kind of fix things up a little bit, clean things up in my life, then I will invite God into my life. Friends, it doesn't work that way. Instead, what I I want to challenge you to do is to invite God into the mess of your life. That, That you say, God, I know that I'm a mess. Nothing is where it's supposed to be in my life, and I can't clean it up on my own. I can't clean it up by myself. I am incapable of cleaning up myself. I need you to step in and rescue me. I need you to step in and clean up this awful mess. And the great thing about God is that when you ask him to do that, he will, that he will come in and cleanse you. So Jesus comes to this planet. He lives here. He goes to the cross. He dies in our place. He ascends into heaven. And these communities of Christ followers start popping up all over the place. And one of the places where a church is formed is in Ephesus. We have a map of this that we're going to put up on the screen this morning. But Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman world. It was a pretty significant, pretty influential, important city. Well, a church gets formed there by the Apostle Paul. Later on, he would write a letter to encourage them in their faith. And we have this letter in our Bibles. I want you to see something that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says, listen, you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. He's talking about uh, artwork, a beautiful painting or uh, an image that has been sculpted out of stone or wood or clay or something like that. And he says, you are God's masterpiece. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen. You were created in Christ Jesus. There's a second creation, a recreation that has taken place in you. And, And the reason why you are recreated in Christ Jesus is so that you could do good works. We are recreated for goodness. You see, Christ has moved into our lives in order to restore the image of God that was lost in the fall. And to give the people around us who are surrounded by brokenness, broken relationships, broken homes, broken families, broken hearts, broken bodies, to give them a glimpse of his goodness through us. And I think that what God is looking for is people who will partner with him in accomplishing this. So we've seen here how God the creator put his goodness on display from the very beginning of time. How In his loving kindness, he reveals and demonstrates his character in the very things that he brings into existence. But it wasn't very long after creation that sin messed all of that up and there was this disruption that took place as it relates to goodness. God wasn't done. God wasn't through. And he sent his son into this world to uh, break the power of sin, to free us, to set us free, to um, rescue and restore that goodness into our world once again. And so uh, I'd like for us here to talk a little bit about what goodness is and why it matters so much. What is the essence of goodness? You say, well, I, I, I was 
good last week. I mean, I didn't kick the cat too much. I didn't force any drivers off of the road. I, I didn't destroy somebody's reputation with slanderous gossip. I didn't steal anything that I remember. I, I wasn't bad, so I guess I was good, right? Isn't goodness just the opposite of being bad? Well, not quite. Goodness is not just the absence of badness. You you could do nothing and not be bad. You could be dead and not be bad. But that doesn't mean that you're good. In order to be good, you have to do something. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. To be involved in good works, you actually have to do something. The essence of goodness is that you bring something of value into a broken and messed up world. You do something. If we could go back to Ephesians again. Paul gives some examples here uh, to the believers there at Ephesus about what this looks like to demonstrate the goodness of God in practical ways. We we saw what he said there in chapter 2, but if you uh, move forward just a couple of chapters in uh, Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, listen, you know what? We need to talk about a few things here. In fact, he says, you know what? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. And he's writing this to other Christians. He's writing this to people in the church. People in the church who had apparently been making a living from being thieves. Maybe they would walk through the marketplace and look for ways to take people's wallets. Or maybe one person would cause a diversion and the other person would come in, grab a bunch of stuff off the table, and just take off running. And this is how some Christians had been making a living, but this is how some Christians were still making a living. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul writes and he says, Let the thief no longer steal. You think, okay, well, I mean, that's a good idea. I mean, stealing is bad, and so I shouldn't do bad things anymore. And so, you know what, since I'm not going to do any bad things, I guess I'm good, right? Well, not quite, because goodness does something. What Paul does here is so interesting because not, not stealing is only half of what he tells the former thief to do here. Look at what it says there in verse uh, 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. He's got to get a job. Don't, don't, uh, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's good. The first part of the verse is moving away from badness. The second part of the verse is embracing goodness. And there's a difference. Let the thief no longer steal. That's great, but we're not done yet. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Friends, This person is transformed from a taker to a giver, from a thief to someone who is generous. Listen, that is the perspective that is totally being transformed. That's something that can only happen when the Spirit of God is living and active, working inside of you. Not only am I not going to steal what's not mine, but I'm actually going to work hard and make an honest wage so that I can give something to someone else who is in need. You see, goodness 
does something. Let me give you a second example here of this. The same context, Ephesians chapter 4, just the very next verse, verse 29. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. He's talking about gossip and slander. He's talking about mean and hateful things. And by the way, maybe we could even add texting and social media to this as well. Because there are things that we would never say to somebody's face, but behind an email or in a text or on social media, we'll post it. I mean, it's just nasty and it tears people down and it's not the kind of thing that we are called to as the people of God. And so you say, well, okay, I get it. I mean, let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth because that's bad. And so I'm going to stop complaining and I'm going to stop gossiping and I'm going to stop running people down with my words on social media. And so then I'm good, right? But that's not how it works. It's not, you're not bad, but you're only halfway there. Again, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so now the question becomes, how do I benefit people with the things that come out of my mouth? but only such as is good for building up. You see, goodness is not just the absence of destructive speech, but goodness is actually the presence of life-giving, edifying speech. Goodness does something. I think that one of the things that we need to do here is to think about and maybe even become a lot more creative about how we demonstrate the goodness of God in a world that is broken and messed up by the effects of sin. A world that needs to see and experience the very character and nature of God being lived out in front of them. Friends, I hope that it is clear today that goodness is not just the absence of badness, but goodness actually takes action, that goodness does something. There's one more thing that I want you to see here as it relates to this character trait of goodness, this fruit of the Spirit, and it just has to do with who gets the credit. Who gets the credit for goodness? You know, I think that naturally when we do something good, we expect that we're going to get the credit for that. But we need to keep in mind that this is not our fruit. This is something that has been created in us, not something that we have created ourselves. And when something good happens, when we do something good towards someone else, it is ultimately a reflection of God at work in our lives that he is the one who should get the credit. Jesus talked about this in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about the nature of light in dark places. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then here it is in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen. When God empowers us to show goodness to other people, it reflects on his goodness. And ultimately, it should cause people to look not at us, but to look at him and give him praise. 
A guy's got a daughter who is off at college for the first time. She's driving an old car, got a lot of miles on it, not all that reliable. Well, the guy comes home from work one day, and his wife, the girl's mom, says, you know what, she came out of her dorm this morning, went to the car, and one of the tires was flat. The guy says, oh, no, I mean, we're like three hours away from her. But the wife says, wait a second, it's okay. One of the other students on campus helped her change the tire, put on the spare, and she's all right. The guy says, wow, praise God. You say, well, why praise God? I mean, it it was the other student that changed the tire for her. But listen, oftentimes our goodness is just a reflection of God's goodness. There's a family that has gone through a terribly difficult situation. When they talk about this, they say, you know what? It's been the worst season of life that we've ever experienced in our lives. But, but, but God has been incredibly faithful at the same time. We, we had total strangers reach out to us. People dropped off meals at our house. We, we, uh, did, uh, we, we had dear friends just write these beautiful notes to us. Even people that we didn't know wrote some wonderful notes to us. And God has been so faithful to us. God has been so good to us during this season of our lives. Why? Because our goodness, our goodness reflects on God's goodness. And the credit goes to God. The creator of our world who infused his goodness into Adam and Eve and he reinfuses, he recreates, reestablishes patterns of goodness through his very spirit who comes and lives inside of us. His spirit who comes to push out the darkness and fill us with himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Friends, this is goodness restored. And our goodness reflects on God's goodness. And so again, as we close our time here today, I want you to think very practically about this. Is there a person or a situation that comes to your mind when you think about opportunities of creatively demonstrating the goodness of God this week? A broken home, broken heart, Broken spirit, broken relationship. Maybe it has to do with your workplace or your school or your neighbors, your family. I don't know what it is for you, but when you think about the Spirit of God changing and transforming you, one of the things that he calls you to is to reflect his goodness in your life and in your world. We need to have our eyes opened to the needs to the brokenness that is all around us. And to ask, to say, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want me to reflect you and to represent you in my world today? Let's pray.